Hi, and welcome to the Sales Enablement Pro Podcast. I am Shauna Simawong. Sales enablement is a constantly evolving space, and we are here to help professionals stay up to date on the latest trends and best practices so they can be more effective in their jobs. Thank you so much for joining us today. I would love for you to take a moment and just introduce yourself, your title, and your organization. Sure. So my name is Jenna Cronin. I'm the Director of Sales Enablement at Unbabble. And I've been in the sales marketing enablement arena for uh, about eight years now. So I, I like to joke that I've held just about every job. I was a BDR. Uh, I did inside sales. I was a sales manager and then a trainer, instructional designer, and <laughs> found my love for enablement uh, through all of those different paths. So it's exciting to have that come together into one role. Awesome. And Belen, can you introduce yourself as well? Sure. So my name is Maria Belen. I am Sales Enablement Manager here at Unbubble. Unlike Jenna, my uh, career started early on in sales enablement. So I first joined Unbubble as a BDR. And very quickly, I was moved to the sales enablement role as they needed someone to help onboard and train all new people, um, customer-facing people here at Unbubble, and um, also act as liaison between the different departments. So that's how I got here. Well, I'm so grateful to have the chance to chat with both of you ladies today. I would like to start just by better understanding what a sales enablement look like at Unbabble. Sure, so I can um, start. So we are now a team of three people. Um, Jenna is the director of the department. We, uh, she reports directly to the CCO. Then I am the sales enablement manager and we have a intern with us, um, Rita. And we are now gonna uh, expand a little bit our team and we're gonna have a sales operations person joining in as well. So we are hiring for that position. And we currently support uh, all customer facing teams in three offices. So we have offices in New York, San Francisco and here in Portugal. And this goes from BDRs, uh, sales, partnerships, CSMs, implementation managers and solution consultants. And I have to build on that just to say that I have seen sales enablement in a lot of different organizations. And it's really interesting that Unbabel has supported sales enablement at, uh, at the stage that we're at as a startup. It, it's a little bit unusual to see a sales operations person reporting into sales enablement, but I think it's a sign that the industry is evolving so much that now that sales enablement person can be very strategic and Usually you would see uh, it the other way around in some cases where sales ops has been around for longer as a role, but it just speaks to how some companies are really starting to recognize sales enablement as a, as a very strategic position. Absolutely. Absolutely. As it, as it should be. And you, you alluded to this, but obviously it is a bit unusual for a startup to have sales enablement as a function. What was the impetus or reason why did Unbabble see the value of sales enablement so early on? Well, this is kind of um, a part how I got into this position in the first place. So I, as I said, I started as a BDR, but um, Quickly enough, we realized that we needed someone to be that 
middle person between uh, marketing, between a team that was in charge of trials at the time and the sales rep. And uh, I started doing that just because I felt that was what I needed to be done to get my my things done. And um, my boss at the time, he came to me and said, well, you're spending most of your time doing this internal alignment and training new people that's coming up. So I Googled um, and I found this position called sales enablement that I think that fits what you're doing today. Do you want to start that position? I was like, okay, <laughs> I think I can, I can try that. So that's kind of how it started um, here at Unbubble. I love that. And Belen, as a liaison between departments like marketing, product, and sales, how do you successfully bring all those voices together? And how does that collaboration impact your sales enablement initiatives? Sure. So as I said, um, this very position was born from being the liaison between all these teams. But of course, now that we've evolved, um, this has taken a bit of more like a formal uh, shape. We now do shadowing to teams so that we understand what's going on um, in the field as well as talk to managers. We have either weekly meetings, bi-weekly meetings, monthly meetings, just to make sure that we understand where the gaps are, where the misalignments and struggles are. And then uh, practically bring that together with the manager's vision, with their priorities, and understand where we need to focus our energies and how we can prioritize our work uh, accordingly. I mean, we didn't get to this level from the start. We had to earn this right. So it all became like doing little things for each of the leaders, trying to be like the help when they asked for it. And we kind of grew from there. We started by probably being the filter between sales and other departments like product marketing or marketing and um, product, all these other teams that want to have a little bit of sales time, but that they have to use to actually do the sale. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And obviously coming from a business development background, it seems like you have a very deep understanding and empathy for sales. Um, you mentioned shadowing sales. Um, why is that approach beneficial and how else are you obtaining feedback from your sales teams? Uh, sure. So for me, having visibility of what going, what's going on in the ground is crucial so that we can identify um, where we have to act, where we have to um, introduce changes, where we can optimize, where we can innovate, basically having, um, well, understanding what people is going through and what they try to do, it's key so that when we try to train them or we try to change whatever needs to be changed we can do it from the lenses of the user right because in the end they are our customers so we need to make sure we understand them and as i said we we have um 
we we have time with them like one-on-ones aside from the shadowing we uh, do coaching with them so we also get feedback from there and um, I think we also do reports for managers so we get some of uh, their opinions I don't know Jenna if you want to say some of the other initiatives that we're doing so far yeah, I think it's a really important thing to, no matter what stage you're at in your your sales enablement function, to continue to shadow. Because I, I had a, um, a colleague from a past life that used to say, uh, you want to be in touch with the C-suite, but don't take your eye off the street. So understanding the high-level initiatives that the company is really uh, – gearing towards so important because it it's the lens through which you develop all of your your day-to-day projects and actions but let's not forget that the senior leadership doesn't always know what's happening on the rep level and that when you are just building that trust like Belen said earning the trust of of all different members of the uh, the sales function it's important to get those quick wins And when a a manager or a director tries to uh, weigh in on quick wins, a lot of times they either go too big in terms of the project, they're looking longer term, or they try to offload some of their, you know, busy work onto you, which is neither one of those is helping uh, get the quick wins that earn you credibility. So I think actually walking in the rep shoes is really, really important for uh, being able to develop some of these quick wins. I mean, for us, um, when I came on board, uh, part of the most important things I wanted to understand because we're we're focusing on really um, establishing a consistent pipeline, I wanted to to sit with the BDRC, how they were reaching out to prospects, what tools they were using, and it was very enlightening. I came away from every session thinking, okay, there's a really easy fix here we can make with either the integration of a tool or uh, training on the way they use it um, down to the messaging and, and what was actually going out in some of those emails. It's very different when you observe firsthand versus uh, what you hear through a manager's filter. No, absolutely. And I, I like the whole notion of quick wins. Uh, I'm curious if you have any any other advice on some quick wins that you'd recommend for sales enablement practitioners that are just getting started. Yeah, I think this this goes hand in hand with the shadowing, but the most important thing you can do is build champions. And those can be reps, those can be managers, but by sitting with uh, people across the organization, you'll, you'll find out um, pretty quickly who can be supportive of you and feed you information and be the one that tips you off on those quick wins. So I think really listening is the best um, action you can do. And a lot of times um, that that can become almost your reputation within the company. I, I had one sales manager that when I first came on board, he said, you know what, my team's fine. Why don't you go focus on the other teams? Don't worry about us. We're pretty busy over here. We're doing well. So, you know, basically like stay away. And, uh, you know, six months went by and I got off a red eye 
last night and I come to my desk and within 10 minutes, he's over there like, oh, okay, get, let's talk about this. Uh, I need your help on this. So that can happen um, pretty quickly when you spend time really listening to the needs of, as Blen said, your buyer, which is sales managers, salespeople, and identifying some of those areas, be it, um, you know, make a, a quick playbook. Um, you know, Belen, maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the uh, CRM playbook you put together or um, being able to put together uh, a call script or an email um, script. We did a call library. That's something that as a small company, we just didn't have yet all in one place so that people can listen to calls through uh, a specific lens. And, and we put together a couple tools on what to watch out for when you're listening to this particular call. So just letting people access resources that they can immediately apply. To build on that, I think that one thing that you can do is think of sales enablement as the consultants for the sales leaders, right? So if you start off with that mindset, you you will see that eventually the sales leader will come to you, right? So um, as Jenna said, we started by listening, uh, understanding what their needs were, where we could help, where we could have these quick wins. We started gathering these champions. Um, and then we also tried to understand, okay, what works for each of these teams? Um, at the beginning, we had some trouble with the sales uh, reps, but we found out very quickly that actually the CSMs, the success managers, they also um, were struggling. So it was, okay, how can we help? And then we just gave them a space to share their best practices. And now that space evolved to um, having a playbook for them. And we've also now are supporting them with coaching or putting internal proposals for whatever it is that they need, right? So I think it's also important to understand what are the needs of each department and being able to adapt to those specific needs. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I feel like we're, we're touching on this, but I, I want to ask the question now, right? You know, from your perspective, what are the key components of a successful sales enablement function? What do you believe enablement's core responsibilities to be, Jenna? I think, um, well, a lot of a lot of people that aren't as familiar with sales enablement would say it's training, right? It's the same thing. It is training, and, and to a certain extent. But I think when sales enablement is able to be more strategic, when either the company sees sales enablement as being strategic, or the individual uh, sales leadership and and various other leaders see them as strategic, it becomes more of a change management function. So lots of things go into that. It could be um, training, but it could also be development of resources. So I'm not talking about necessarily the things that we send to customers. That's more product marketing realm, but it, it's like the Len mentioned, playbooks, um, job aids, uh, reference guides, how-to guides, Anything that helps people do their job on a on a day to day that they can use as a reference, and I would say those two things plus um, the tools side is what 
most organizations use to, to define sales enablement. So bridging into what are the technologies, what are the tools that, uh, that they can leverage to be better at their job. I think the more advanced sales enablement organizations and where, certainly where we're trying to go also include things like people development of customer facing functions. So here we have developed scorecards, we've developed career progression plans for anyone that talks to customers here. And we work very closely with our people ops, which is our word for HR over here, um, to put those into play. And um, you know, we, we like to have an influence also on some of the strategic side. So even what are the territories? How, how are people held accountable on their uh, daily tasks and what are, they, what are they measured on? So I think in a lot of places that false sales ops were about to be one combined function here, um, but everything from commissions to territories to um, j daily job functions can certainly be a part of sales enablement. Absolutely. And I love that you are thinking beyond just sales training. Um, can you tell me a little bit from your perspective, the distinction between sales training and sales enablement? In my view, sales training is something that we, we still all do it, but I'll tell you what happened a lot when I first got here. We would have a meeting with another internal team, might've been marketing or the, uh, uh, people ops team or finance or um, the product team that said, okay, we just did something. We got to make sure sales knows about it. Can you roll it out? And then we say, okay, all right. So what, why did we do this in the first place? And, and people are like, okay, let's, let's go all the way back to the beginning of this project. Can't you just roll it out? Can't, can't we just hand it over to you and have you, you know, do the magic? <laughs> so I think training is seen by others as being a little less strategic because it, when you say training, you're thinking about people in a classroom and maybe the follow-up materials that go with it. Um, I think when it comes to enablement and where we really want to go is for the enablement team that really can speak for sales to be involved with the planning, with the development of this project in the first place and have a an influence on why are we doing this and is there a way we can tailor the project or influence the outcome so that it is completely aligned with what we're doing in sales because a lot of that alignment has to happen after the fact and it's so much harder to do if the thing has already been developed that we're trying to roll out. Absolutely. Jenna, you had also mentioned the sales enablement where I the importance of supporting reps after they're onboarded um, by way of continuous training. So can you explain to our audience a little bit about the way you think about continuous training and why it's so important? Yeah, I, I think um, that's the other thing about training, right? <laughs> it doesn't always involve reinforcement that some, some companies have an onboarding and then you're kind of on your own or, or some companies don't even have an onboarding. So it would just be, be nice to have that as a, as a full-fledged uh, function. But continuous training, I think, is so important in this current job market because it's competitive. It takes a lot to get a good candidate to sign on board. And in order for them to stay and not be you know, tempted by other offers one or two years down the line, 
we really have to invest in our people. And that means developing not only their ability to do their job to sell, but also from a skills perspective, assisting them with developing what they need to get to the next level. So when it comes to things like career progressions and um, ongoing development, ongoing training, it's, it's really essential these days in order to have a good retention strategy for our people. Um, not to mention that it's, it's a lot more efficient to get 20% more out of your top performers than to have to hire more or have to worry about replacing your lowest performers. Excellent. Well, I'd like to just take a minute and talk to you about some of your actual initiatives to date. You guys have mentioned too that I actually want to talk about, so I don't want to like presume you're, they're your most impactful ones, but I, I mean, you mentioned the one, Jenna, around people development. And I think that that's super critical. You also mentioned how important culture and skill development is for rep retention. I would love it if you could just, you know, kind of walk me through, you know, what, what were the challenges or, or what made you guys realize that this was an initiative that sales enablement needed to tackle? So I can talk from the, the high level point of view and then maybe Belen, you can fill in with the, the actual execution side um, in terms of the uh, employee development. I think when, when you're a growing company, there's um, something dangerous in how you evaluate people based on um, what a manager might rely on, which is the numbers you have in the system and their gut feelings about how this person is doing at being a positive part of the organization, a positive part of the culture. The thing we hear all the time in startups is, well, we got to have a great culture. You know, is this person part of the culture? It's like, how do you define the culture? <laughs> you actually have to break it down into qualities that you can measure or qualities that you can consistently evaluate people on uh, across the board or else all you're doing is, is sort of relying on the data in the system, which as we know at a startup, um, can it can be challenging to always have that super accurate um and then you have your your gut feelings about the the people so Belen, maybe you can talk a little bit about how we we rolled that out sure so um just before we go into that i want to um make a point when it comes to retaining people and how continuous learning um helps so i see that every day right so it without having a sense of where you're going um, as someone more junior like I want to know what my options are I want I expect my manager to kind of tell me okay like these are your options this is what you can do and these are the steps you need to do to actually make it there and be successful. And oftentimes with companies our size uh, or other startups that don't have um, career progressions or development or are not into um, developing the skills of their people, motivation levels can come down because you start feeling like you're not moving, you're not doing anything to be a better version of you, right? 
So I think this is very important. And in terms of execution, the way we did it is we started by um, analyzing what were the skills that were needed to be successful at a specific role and how did that look like at Embabble, right? And we did that for all of the customer facing roles and we kind of build a scorecard that we were used to measure it. And from that scorecard, we took um, the main components and we built hiring guides. So, okay, when I'm going into an interview, which are the questions that I can ask to make sure that this person fits into this um, behavior or has these skills, et cetera. And then from there, we, we knew which skills they developed in one position and what, which ones were needed in the other position. And basically that gap is what they need to learn in order to progress from one to the other. So then you have the career paths and the succession plans. So out of one scorecard, we were able to build these let's say four documents that would help the people uh, grow and develop. I love that. I'm, I'm curious, how are you guys measuring the success of this initiative, whether it's quantitative or even qualitative? That's a great question. It's always difficult to measure some of these things, especially when um, they're new initiatives. So I think from the we, we have our sort of sequence of what we look for in terms of implementation. The first is, do the managers embrace it? Do they feel like it is a positive ad that makes their life easier in some way? And, you know, we check that box because not only can they use it for their performance reviews and have a, uh, a, cons a consistent way of being able to measure their people, but we also employ uh, a tool internally that we use for professional development across the year where you, you, know, you can log in, set objectives for people and clear actions that help them uh, practice getting towards that objective. So all of a sudden, all of these things can be pulled down from the scorecard and we, have to, we don't have to reinvent the wheel as much from the managers. The next step is, is it useful for the reps? So we... Um, try to understand that by seeing to what degree do the reps um, accurately evaluate themselves <laughs> versus what, how their manager evaluates them. I think we're, we're going to get a lot of data out of that when we conduct the round of performance reviews we do at mid-year. So that'll be pretty enlightening, I predict, in terms of um, being able to see where the gaps are and then also uh, quantify you know, how these are being used. And then from there, I think it's a matter of over time tracking how many successful placements did we get that people move through these career paths. So we're at the point now where we've been able to test it with a handful of different people and we've gotten good feedback about the process. So all we have to do now is measure are these people successful in their role, which again, we could do through the scorecards. <laughs> so we've kind of set ourselves up to be able to collect all that data and now it's a matter of um, moving through that process and, and kind of being patient with it. No, absolutely, absolutely, that's, that's amazing. The other initiative that I alluded I wanted to cover off on uh, with you guys was uh, the mention of playbooks. 
So I'd like to first set the stage for those of that are relatively newer to this space. But, you know, Jenna, from your perspective, how do you define a sales playbook? A sales playbook is anything that tells you how to do something. So we typically employ some sort of um, either classroom or e-learning that often focuses on what to do and why it's important. And then the on-the-job training or coaching on how to do it happens afterwards. So the sales playbook is a leave behind or a resource that, that should be made available in conjunction with coaching that shows you how to do something. And I'm talking coaches out there. If you have a playbook, don't leave it for outside of coaching. Pull it into your coaching session. Open it up and point out what you're doing or what you're helping your coachee um, realize or learn so that they can learn to self-serve in the future and, and uncover how to do something through that resource. Excellent. And the one that you specifically mentioned was a CRM playbook. I'd love to actually kind of dive in a little bit and understand from an execution standpoint, Belin, maybe you can um, give us some insight here on how you went about basically laying the foundation and then structuring the playbook for your reps in a way in which you knew that they would be able to use it and use it in real time when it made sense for them. Sure. So the first step was understanding all the actions they needed to do in the CRM. So we kind of did one small chapter per action and we linked all of those like bite-sized documents to a master outline so basically they just need to uh, bookmark one page and from there they have links to all the actions you can imagine from how to create a lead to how to move one opportunity from one stage to the other or how to add other team members into that opportunity so it's really broad and then um, in order to make it easier for the reps we also started linking some of those bite-sized documents into the CRM itself at a certain stage so that they can easily find the instructions of how to do something at the right time. That's excellent. Um, do you have some examples of other types of playbooks that you've created for your teams? Yeah, we have the um, BDR playbook, which is also a how-to guide. And this one is a little bit different because it not only talks about what they should do at each stage of the pipeline, but also talks about the messaging or how to structure they, they, their day or um, more broad things about our company, like the messaging or um, who are our customers, how to approach them, etc. And then the other one, the one we are very proud of with Jenna is the CSM one, so the success managers one. And this was um we worked on it all of us together so it was sales enablement plus the csms uh we did a round table a weekly round table in which we 
started by defining, okay, how are we going to classify our customers? And we decided to go with colors. So it's red, amber, and green. And then we started understanding, okay, what makes an account be red, amber, or green? And then what are the actions that we need to take to move them from one color to another? So they all shared their ideas, and then we documented that into a master playbook. I don't know, Jenna, if you want to talk more about this initiative. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I've I've been involved with the creation with a lot of playbooks, and you know, coming from a more of a consulting background, um, a lot of what I've done is okay, interview people, work with the managers, make a list of things we need to teach them on, and then create this masterpiece that we hand over to them. That works in some situations, but other times, depending on the, um, you know, the dynamics of the team, it, for example, uh, this team of success managers that we work with um, didn't have a frontline manager at the time that we started working with them. So they just needed a place to come and be able to get greater alignment with each other. They didn't know what sales enablement was really yet or, <laughs> or who we were because we hadn't worked with them too much before that. But they came to that roundtable. They started just by telling stories of calls they had been on that week. And over time, we were able to create the playbook really purely through moderation. So it wasn't like we were exerting our ideas on them. We just created that discussion and kept the discussion moving. And we were consistent about it. And we documented everything. And by the end, we said, wow, here it is. This, you made this, guys. And so it was a very proud moment for us being the ones that were able to facilitate it. And we're, we're very confident that's going to be on their desks every day to use. Thanks for listening. For more insights, tips, and expertise from sales enablement leaders, visit salesenablement.pro. If there's something you'd like to share or a topic you want to know more about, let us know. We'd love to hear from you.